So we wanted to let you know on the big news. So we've talked about focus. We've aligned it with our business. We've brought it to you and we want to make sure that we're doing the same thing. And so now we have developed everything, moving ourselves all into multifamily. We've stopped our flipping. We stopped our other real estate businesses because that's what we align with and that's what really allowed our business to grow was focus. And with that, we're transforming our podcast and starting a new podcast called the Multifamily Foundation Podcast, which is going to align with all of our goals, bringing that same actionable, great content with some golden nuggets you're going to have to check out, but it's all going to be multifamily focused. And you love it here. We have Multifamily Monday. But this podcast is going to stop. And within two weeks, we're going to be starting up Multifamily Foundation Podcast. We want you to go over there. We want you to like and comment and subscribe to the page because it's going to bring you everything you have of actual content, great guests. We're going to teach you how to underwrite, how to find deals, how to find the money, how to close deals, what to do once you find the deals. So there's going to be a ton of golden nuggets, especially in these first episodes that are coming out. So within a little under two weeks, definitely, definitely, definitely get ready for it. And if you want the updates, go over to our Facebook page, Multifamily Foundation Group. Get ready for this awesome, awesome launch. Multifamilyfoundation.com is our site. Multifamily Foundation Group is our Facebook page. So if you're ready for the Multifamily Foundation podcast, we'll see you soon. This is the Real Estate Foundation. Your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. So before we dive into the show, we wanted to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there. It's always great to have you dive in with us on all these great topics we were to have able to have. And if you want to hear more about us, go to yourusiholdings.com. You can find everything about us from projects we're working on, more about our team members, how we break it up, and all the resources we offer. And if you want to invest, learn more about investing with us there. Also, make sure to check out our multifamily meetup if you're local here in New Jersey. We run the New Jersey Multifamily Investment Meetup, and it happens to be every second Tuesday of the month uh, here in North Central Jersey. So if you're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, make sure to check it out. And lastly, if you want to learn more about investing in apartment buildings, go to multifamilyfoundation.com. All right, check out the show. Three. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Peely is out there making it happen with kiddos in real estate today. You are, so you are stuck with Jason, but you're in good hands because we are absolutely excited. It's been a long time coming. Super excited to have Ivan Barrett on the show. Ivan, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, um, I would have canceled ahead of time had not, had I known Pilly wasn't going to be here. Uh, I didn't know right, I was going to get you. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. I, I give I give no fair warning. I jump on the show myself, and you guys are stuck. <laughs> with that no, I, I, I'm happy to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this on my calendar now for a few weeks. I'm just happy to be here, and uh, hopefully, I can deliver some value to your audience. Good. Well, I know you will. And here's some more about Ivan. Ivan is a multifamily unit owner and syndicator who specializes in FHA and agency finance projects. And since 2015, Ivan has raised nearly $60 million in equity, acquired 2,500 and grown Barrett Asset Management to best in class, vertically integrated asset and property management firm. Today, his focus is on his time on equity finance, acquisitions, and company strategy. And currently, his companies manage well over $250 million in assets, comprising of nearly 3,500 units. Wow, that's, that's a great story right there. And for us, you Thank know, you. we have 
great feedback when we talk about multifamily properties. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we, we get to that point, it's overwhelming for people to just look at that, you know, look at that today and, and see it. Why did you get started in real estate? What was that first step that led you down the path? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, that path started a long time ago. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I had a dad, um, have a dad. He's an attorney and he owned a lot of rental properties growing up. And, uh, one of my favorite overused jokes is that when my brother and I were six and seven, um, you couldn't turn your parents into childhood, uh, child services for making you, uh, perform various manual labor tasks. So we were his landscaping arm for several summers. Uh, before we smartened up and, and, and got paper outs. And, and so that was my first taste. And, you know, he, he did other things. He was very entrepreneurial by nature, um, but was a solopreneur. Gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, was that 1996? I was just graduating high school. So I had always had this taste for real estate and thought, you know, Jason, why would you want to get a real job? Why wouldn't you just own a bunch of income property, sit back and watch the rent checks roll in, right? I could be lazy. And so that was the, the initial attraction. And I always wanted to own um, big assets. But, it, you know, it started with one duplex, um, house hacking it, living in one side and renting out the other. And as a young, um, early 20-something kid, fresh out of college with a, a fancy business degree um, in real estate, finance, development, law, uh, and valuation, uh, you know, I thought I was pretty hot stuff and actually got sidetracked in development for almost eight years and thought I was going to be a big time developer and, and had a great mentor, some great teachers. Uh, and then 2007 happened and everything changed. And that ended up being the biggest, uh, single biggest gift of my early adulthood career. So thankful that that happened to me at such a young age because I would be that big hat no cattle real estate developer. And if that had happened 10 years later, I would have been smoked, man. Uh, no question. So that forced me to, to start over. I was uh, a few hundred grand in debt. Um, I owed a lot of money and I had, you know, piling up expenses every month because it had all been based on these projects that were going to hit, right? So financing my lifestyle. And at the time, uh, my wife was my uh, girlfriend. I'm trying to convince her to manage, uh, to marry me, you know, and she's like, uh, you're a few hundred thousand dollars in debt. Would you marry me if, if the tables were turned? You know, that was, a, that was a really tough question to answer. Um, but I did dig myself out of it um, by doing whatever I could um, and started a, a property management company um, out of my spare bedroom. And really grew that by managing assets for other people, uh, all small investors and uh, in single family homes, townhomes, landlords by necessity, um, anything I could get my hands on where I didn't have to carry a gun. And I was everything. I was the leasing agent. I was the, um, the uh, maintenance coordinator. I was the collector. I was marketing, advertising. I was everything. And then I started hiring people and figuring out how to scale that uh, to where we're at today. And along the way, I started off um, um, with the Burr method. Uh, I'm sure most people know what that is now. Back then, we didn't have a, a name for it, but I was buying small multifamily with, with hard money, um, putting a lot of improvements into distressed properties in, in up-and-coming areas. And then I would refinance uh, and do it again and, and keep them. 
And so over time, um, I actually became my own biggest client and continued to grow into, into larger apartment communities. In 2014, I bought my first site managed deal where we had on-site staff on 112 units. And shortly thereafter, um, found a really great business partner uh, that has a, a complementary set of skills to mine. And we've bent the growth curve um, quite a bit. Now all that small stuff is gone and we focus on mainly two and 300 unit apartment communities, B plus to, uh, to A minus here in the Midwest. Uh, him and I own about 2,500 units together. And then we still manage about another thousand units as a fee manager um, for our clients that own anywhere uh, from 30 unit apartment buildings here in Indianapolis up to uh, a few site managed assets that we that we uh, manage on behalf of the owner. Wow. So I'm excited because there's so much we can dive into here that's really going to help everybody. So yeah, I'm going to jump back to development and looking yeah. at that stage in your life when you got into it, what, what were some of the key takeaways uh, going forward that if someone is you know, in that phase where they're in development now, that, that could help them possibly course correct and keep themselves out of a potential spiral? Yeah, d development primarily, whether you're, whether you're flipping a single family home or you're building a, a, a large apartment community is um, tantamount to speculation. You're uh, a capital gains uh, investor. You're looking to, to acquire something, hopefully improve it, and sell it for a lot more than what you have into it for a, prop, for a profit. Um, the problem with that, um, it's tax inefficient, uh, especially if you're selling it quickly. Uh, you're, you're selling yourself out of a job every time you're done with a project. The, the major problem is when the market shifts uh, and you are anywhere but done with your project, um, you can lose your shirt in the development game. Uh, equity can go poof. Uh, deals can stop midstream. Lots of bad things can happen. Um, and so what I, what I realized is that I didn't want to be in the business of, of gambling, of taking a lot of risk. I wanted to um, build a, a machine that prints money over and over again every month. It's harder. Uh, it's certainly not as sexy, especially in the beginning, but it has a far more robust uh, profile uh, that's repeatable and scalable um, versus going out there and speculating. So for me, the management company was a, a hugely important piece of that because I knew if I could figure that out, I would have a better shot at executing on our, on our acquisitions. But it also gives me a, a high measure of discipline because I don't have to buy a deal or refinance a deal or sell a deal to make payroll, which allows me to continue to build a bigger and bigger team that can do many of the jobs that we have to do today, many of the responsibilities that I frankly suck at and have no business doing. And as you know, um, and, and you're a father and a husband too, being really successful in business is not the only category I have to score high in. I've got these other things that, that, that uh, are, are equally, um, if not supremely more important uh, as, a, uh, as a report card uh, on success. Uh, being a good husband, being a good father, um, being physically fit. And, uh, and my business has to fit into that uh, versus the other way around. And, and, and that's, that's really why I started the business and decided 
Um, my, my dad used to have this great thing. Uh, he would say the journey of 10,000 steps starts with the first one. And, you know, like most young, stubborn um, adults and teenagers and going back when I was a kid, I, you know, shut up, dad. Like, I've heard that a thousand times. And then it dawns on me one day uh, as I'm sitting around trying to figure this whole thing out, you know, um, stop being too good to do a small deal. Stop worrying about, oh, how am I going to get a big deal done? I just need to get the journey of 10,000 units started, right? I got to go from that duplex to just one more deal. Then I'll figure out the next one. And that's, that goes into my advice that I give people all the time is don't look at the mountaintop. Just figure out how to get one freaking foot in front of the other. And if that means you've got to go out and buy another duplex somehow, some way, go do that. Then worry about the next deal, right? I've had people ask me questions. Well, what happens when, my, you know, when I can't qualify for Fannie Mae loans and I'm out of my, you know, my four loan limit or my six loan limit or whatever the limit is today? I'm like, well, well how many deals you got done so far? Uh, I got the house I live in, right? Zero. I'm like, well, go do a deal. And when you hit the four limit wall, then figure out the next step. But until then, you know, stop looking up at the sky and, and get your nose to the ground and, and get a deal done, no matter what size it is. Yeah, it's the action, right? The action, any action is better than no action at all because any action- Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, do you remember Dave Lindahl? He's still around doing stuff. The godfather of multifamily education. Uh, you know, he was screaming at me through those CD courses that I listened to a hundred times back when I started. Start where you're comfortable, just get started. And so my, my next deal that I bought was a, a three-unit um, multifamily POS in, a, uh, in an up-and-coming area where I suspected that if I put a lot of money into it, I could get uh, higher quality uh, residents. Love it. And, you know, you said something there. It, it's so true is that, you know, your business has to fit in with your life. And so, so many times we get just defined by our business that we forget about that. And, and it almost becomes that our business defines us. So if, you know, for any point we have some course correction and our business is taken away or our job's taken away, we almost lose our identity. And it's, it's a yeah. point here where if you, if you can understand that these other important, important factors, that like that's what life about. It's not about just, okay, I have, you know, X amount of, you know, units or I, you know, I make so much as a doctor. That's all just part of the series of life that's going with everything else. And as you, you've had this, you've had this mindset that I, and your father has some really great points to it. And you, you had this point where, you know, you had this downturn, you know, and you really candid about, you know, 2008, 2007 in the day you What was the mindset goals that you used to really just push yourself ahead? Because a lot of people just would just, you know, fall down and say, well, I, I, I give my best shot. I guess it's not for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, my mentor at the time who I went through that crash with was a very conservative uh, real estate developer. So he, he came out of it, um, you know, unscathed. He, he didn't make a lot of money in those years, but he was very conservative and, and really started pumping the brakes early. Um, and, and he was a big, inf is still to this day, I'll, I'll buy him lunch any chance I get, you know, a big influence um, for me. I still back to him, back to my my uh, my dad. They're both father figures to a you know to a great extent, uh, literally for one. And you know, I I just got to learn a lot and see a lot of examples about um, about quitting. You know, I was never the fastest or the smartest um, kid in school, but I always once I picked something up, I usually could could um, lock it in better than most. So I was always a little bit of a late bloomer. Once I had it, I usually got it better than others. 
And so I had to learn at a really young age um, through lots of failure to just not give up. And, and once I developed that, that grit of not giving up, not quitting, recognizing that it's supposed to be hard, I'm going to make a ton of mistakes, shit's going to happen. And just keeping that mentality that, okay, I learned you know, that lesson there, I learned that lesson there, I made that mistake there, here's how I'm going to change it, here's what we're going to do tomorrow, we're just not going to give up. This formula works, I know I'm on that right mountain, I just got to keep putting a, a foot in front of the other, even after I stumble or fall down or get backtracked or side, you know, sidetracked for a little while, I, I know I'm on the right mountain, I just got to keep climbing. Yeah, that's awesome. And noting you, you've started your property management company and that, that allowed you to really just grow yourself into the company you are today. If people are not at that step where they have a property management company, noting yeah. that it is a property management company, what are some of the key factors that they should look for in a, in a third party management property, uh, property management company? Oh gosh, we, we could have a whole nother podcast on yes, that. And there's Give us your there's, top five questions. We'll keep it easy. So it's not diving too far, too deep into it. No, sure. I, I, I think some of the, 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 the good questions there asking for references, um, uh, from clients who have been with the company for two or three years, as well as maybe some newer clients and, and try to get some good data points there. Um, you know, one thing I think people do too often is they look at reviews of property management companies and they look at the score and they're like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Well, you know, it's very hard to get high Google reviews in property management because if you're my owner, I work for you. I don't work for the residents. I want to provide them an experience and I want them to be happy, but you know, I, I'm going to get a, a bad review if I make them pay their, their late fee, right? I'm going to get a, a bad review uh, if their uh, air conditioning goes out in the middle of summer and it takes me 24 hours to get somebody out there. So it's, uh, you, you've got to get a lot of data points to, to figure out if they're a, a good property management company or not. Um, check out the assets they're managing. You, know, you don't want to go to a big time manager um, with a couple of duplexes and you don't want to go uh, with a, a big deal, um, you know, a, a site managed deal to somebody that's never done that before. Not all managers are good at, at managing everything, right? They, they typically are better specialized in a couple different categories at most. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that, that, I think that's a good start off the top of my head. And there's some great questions out there on the internet um, lists. I would say um, the property management company, if they're any good, they're interviewing you too as a client. Uh, because the last thing they want to do is get in bed with a bad client. So you don't want to come off like a rookie uh, too much. You know, it's okay to be like, hey, I'm a beginner. I'm inexperienced. But you don't want to be too much of a pain. You've got to find that balance between being a, a squeaky wheel and having good communication and being a pain in their side. Because I, I know I'm going to blow your mind with this one, but uh, most people generally do a better job for people they like. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And noting your property management background, it, what takeaways do you know that you gained from having that if you had just circumvented that and just went straight into owning assets outright? Oh, you know, I, I wouldn't have nearly the, the, the uh, portfolio I, I do today. There's multiple ways to get there. Um, but for me, uh, I wanted to grow a vertically integrated shop and I wanted the execution of our acquisition strategy, our investment model. Uh, to be in my hands and not the hands of a third-party uh, property manager. Um, 
not that they would do a bad job, but it just uh, took a lot of risk off the table for me. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't wouldn't uh, recommend it to anyone. It is definitely the harder path to take. And some people are more talented uh, at going out and doing other parts of the uh, the business plan and and partnering with somebody that's got great asset management skills or great property management skills, right? Um, it just depends really on the individual what your your superpowers are. And this is a team sport. Um, like anything else in life, if you know, if you want to go big and you don't want to just be a small little uh, side hustle investor, you've got to put the right people around you. And that is not, um, that path is not a straight line. There's a lot of tinkering and trial and error uh, when it comes to building up a team. Sure. And I love that. Right. Now, looking at how you've built up your portfolio over the last couple of years, going forward next 12, 18, 24 months, how are you preparing yourself for the multifamily environment that we're in today in terms of you know, your economic capacity and everything else that surrounds yeah, us? It, it, it's a really tricky environment out there right now. Um, we're raising large amounts of capital. We're on a crazy hiring spree the last few months, expanding our asset management and executive team here at, here at HQ uh, versus uh, staff on site at properties we acquire. The toughest part about the, the whole thing right now is finding an actual deal that makes sense. For us, we pivoted to uh, B plus, A minus assets that already have really strong in-place cash flows uh, that we're typically finding off market where we can get a, a really strong return with less risk. Um, we're seeing a lot of C properties um, uh, overbid right now uh, to where uh, the, the achievable returns are less than they should be for the risk that's being taken uh, on the execution of that asset. So I, I had this question the other day from an investor and he said, hey, well, you know, what's your strategy in all this right now? Where do you think interest rates are going? What's the Fed going to do? What's the economy going to do? So my answer is, my, I predict that this party is going to go on for a while. I don't think it's going to stop and we're going to have a crash, um, maybe even for another couple of years. But I play the game as if the party is going to stop in five minutes. So when we, when we get an asset, we're prepared to hold it for seven to ten years, if not more, and we inform our investors of that. If you don't think that you want to be in this deal for ten, even though we're going to shoot for five to seven, um, but if, if you need the money back in less than 10 years, don't do the deal with me. And we're financing these deals uh, with longer term, lower interest rate locked debt now. And what that does is I have to wait longer before I refinance or sell. Uh, it, in some cases, it can be more difficult to pull cash out along the way. But what it does is it sets this floor on my risk. Because remember, firmly implanted in my DNA is what happened in 2008. And what really happened is everybody that had short-term capital and they either had, they had to roll it over or sell, all of a sudden when no one could roll over their debt and everyone has to sell, uh, it creates this great buying opportunity. But a lot of people, you know, lost businesses and houses and marriages and, um, you know, went, went poof, right? Yeah. And so by managing our maturity risk with, longer term debt 
healthy debt coverage, even though my minimum uh, in, in most loans these days is 125, we're typically looking to do debt coverage around uh, 150 or more uh, going in. Um, that takes so much risk off the table. And what a lot of investors out there that your audience might be talking to or, or looking to raise capital from, a lot of investors are, no matter what they say, end up being value investors when it comes down to it. They don't want to lose money. And so if you can help be an allocation in their portfolio where they've got very, very little chance of losing capital, they're okay with a little bit less of a return. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you can, if you can truly um, almost eliminate that downside risk, obviously you can't guarantee it. Now, is that one of your ahead. decisions from moving over to a fund? And if so, has your, how have your conversa conversations grown with investors as you've made this switch from straight syndicate model to a fund model? Yeah, so for us, the fund model, it just lengthens my capital raise period. Um, and I think a better characterization of it would be called a multi-asset PPM. So um, right now we've got a deal, it's 18 and a half million, the equity raise is 5 million bucks. We'll put in the first million and we'll raise 4 million into the fund. And then we won't raise another dollar uh, until we're getting ready to look for deal number two. So the fund can continue to go up as we, as we buy more deals. And if you put in 100,000 or a million, eventually your, your funds are spread out over however many assets go into that, that offering. Um, and because of the track record I have, once I explain what we're doing with our investors, most of them have been a hell yes uh, for the fund because it gives them a measure of diversification, uh, both geographically and on an asset basis. And, you know, if you look at my last five deals, two have been home runs, uh, two have been at or around projected, and one has been a little bit below uh, projection. So by, by uh, spreading that capital out over multiple assets, you've got a higher probability of a higher return mm -hmm. and you've got a lower risk profile. So uh, we, on, in, on Wall Street, they would call that finding alpha. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, that's what we're doing there. And then we're pairing that with um, a very uh, particular kinds of, of debt that we have access to on those, on those large deals. So the fund uh, is, is going to be a, a great uh, product for our clients uh, on an ask forward basis. I love that, right? And it still speaks to your, your model about how you're preparing for, you know, you don't think the, the, the show is going to stop anytime soon, but you're preparing like it is every day. And that fits oh, sure. Way. You know, that fund can go up to 50 million. And I'm telling all my investors, listen, if uh, we can't find enough deals that I am uh, putting in writing in my offering that, that very specifically fits our stability fund, uh, our low risk, nicer assets, um, then we may close the fund out, you know, a year from now at 20 million, 30 million instead of 50. If I find a big, heavy value add opportunistic deal uh, at a return that doesn't exist today um, because there's too many people overpaying for that stuff, that wouldn't go into my fund. I can still go out and raise for a single asset. The fund is a very specific mandate. Um, Howard Marks, one of my favorite investors, love his new book, Mastering the Market Cycle. Um, at this stage of the cycle, it's, it, as, it's my main job to be really freaking careful. So if there's an investor now who is maybe, doesn't have the track record that you've put together, right? 
and at sure. this point maybe has done a deal or two syndication models. Do you think uh, transitioning to a, a multi-asset PPM is a more advanced step or, or do you see it as more of a risk adverse step right now? Um, you know, raising that first fund is going to be a little bit more difficult. You've really got to have a lot of trust built up with your investors. Um, new investors are going to be a little, maybe a little reluctant when they hear the, the F word uh, fund. Uh, so you really got to explain, you know, how it all works. There's lots of different kinds of funds out there. We're making ours as simple as possible um, because, we, you know, the confused mind says no, right? So we're not trying to be too fancy. We're not, we're not looking to uh, be a mutual fund. We want to make sure people understand they still get all the value of real estate, all the tax benefits. It's just a way for us to, to put a few more assets into a single offering, spread the risk, um, grow the return. And for me, you know, what happened in Q4 of 18 is I had three deals. I went five months without anything. Uh, and then I had three deals land in my lap all at once. I only got to pick two because we 60 days just wasn't enough time to raise 35 million in equity. So I had to pick two and raise 24 million. I raised one with my investors and then I had to go to a, a, a one big investor uh, on the other deal and was only, only had another couple million to allocate to, um, to my, my loyal uh, smaller investors. And so that was really the, the catalyst uh, to take that fund idea off the drawing board uh, and get to work on it. So that the next time, uh, two or three opportunities all hit at once, um, which seems to happen in my business. We have these, these droughts and then all of a sudden, boom, we get a bunch of activity um, that we would be able to take advantage of that and have more dry powder uh, committed and, and ready to go. I love that. And I know listeners are going to kick me if I don't ask this question, but you talked a few times about finding off-market deals. You hear it's so difficult in multifamily environment to find off-market yeah. deals. What is some of your favorite strategies to, to find these? Yeah, at my level, the brokers still control all that. Um, brokers bring me off-market deals. Um, they're out there every day calling on owners, looking for opportunities. And so the better I, I am at managing those relationships, um, doing well for the brokers, being a good buyer, uh, never retrading, uh, doing what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. Uh, the more often they want to bring me to a seller that's, that doesn't want to do the dog and pony with, with uh, an on-market offering and just wants to see if he can strike a deal with, with a top buyer. So what will happen is the seller goes to you know, a couple of brokers to say, um, send me a proposal. And uh, picks one broker and says, all right, I'll give you a couple of months. Bring me your, you know, your five, your top five buyers and uh, we'll see if we can strike a deal. So sure it's being shopped a little bit, but it's better than having 25 buyers in the mix. That's uh, that's for sure. And my last five deals have been um, uh, a, a uh, some sort of off market conversation like that. And some of them, some of them go for a year. The one we have under contract right now, which I'm still pinching myself. We got that deal under contract. That was an off-market conversation that started a little over a year ago. Yeah, see, and that's key right there. So Ivan just basically gave you the formula and there's no special sauce as everybody wants. It's just do what you say, act and commit, constant follow-up, and just 
literally, it would be, you tell someone you're going to do it, follow up and do it. And then that yep. conversation with the broker gets so much easier because they know, oh, Ivan's going to close the deal. So sure, I want to bring the deal to Ivan because I know if he says he's going to close on yeah. it, close on it. It's- now, if we back up and your audience are looking at, at smaller apartments, uh, smaller multifamily, then I gotta, you got to go gorilla. You got to send out your letters, you know, driving down streets, looking for deals that you think might be an opportunity, finding out who owns it. And I used to burn up the phones on small apartment deals, just trying to find the seller. You know, they get a lot of yellow letters in the mail. They get a lot of cards. Now they get shoes in the mail, right? Um, You got to find a way to to get a one-on-one conversation, develop some rapport, build a relationship. My best little off-market deal was 15 units. The guy was out of his mind on price. And then a year later calls me back. Uh, He wanted 600 grand for it. Uh, a year later, calls me back. We closed at four hundred ninety thousand, and I sold it two and a half years later for seven fifty. Yeah, see, uh, and, oh, and that consistency and follow up is key. That's oh yeah, key. yeah, and that's not from market uh, appreciation. That was all just from getting in there with with some dollars to improve the units and raise rents and yeah. get that NOI up. So you have so much rapid growth going on in your business right now. What's one of the key components that you're really working to fine tune right now? Oh man, you know, it's not fast enough for me. It never is. Um, (laughs) but right now it's all about people. We're, we're heavily invested in, uh, what's called EOS, uh, based on the book traction. So our leadership team, uh, we're going through a process of how we run our meetings, how, uh, individuals are accountable, how everyone's got their, uh, we call our big rocks for the quarter. Um, you know, the things that no matter what gets in the way have to get done, and so it's a great way to, to help uh, scale a company, uh, not only develop my, my executive team, but develop uh, that next level of leaders underneath them. Uh, because we can't, we can't work harder, right? Uh, people can only work so hard uh, before they burn out. So you've got to find these ways for people to work smarter. Um, I had to learn it as an entrepreneur, you know, how to replace myself with other people that can do the job better. And we're, we're passing it on to our leaders. We, we want them to replace themselves, uh, not so we kick them to the curb, but so they can grow with me uh, and, and develop leaders underneath them. And that's, that's really uh, a huge focus on the operating side is that, that execution of the, uh, the management team at all levels. Yeah, and the traction book, that, that's a great segue into just your routine. What's part of your daily routine that lets you be most productive with so much happening around you? Uh, so my, my routine, as much, as much as I can, I'm not perfect by any stretch, uh, but I, I get up early and I train hard uh, and try to be home before the kids are, are leaving for school. And by pushing myself uh, in that respect, uh, it helps my energy levels. It helps my stress levels big time. And, you know, pushing, pushing over here in this one thing, uh, physically and mentally helps me push over here in, uh, in business and life. And, uh, um, it, you know, real estate and owning an operating company, it's a lot like working out and getting fit, right? You don't get a six pack on a Saturday doing a really heavy three hour workout. It's, it's reps over and over again, little by little, uh, doing the right thing every day, just a little bit has a uh, has serious momentum uh, when, you, uh, when you put time into the equation. Yeah, I love that. And there, is there some words that you live by, whether personally or in your business? Oh, man. Uh, 
you know, I get made fun of because of all my different uh, sayings and platitudes. But a, a couple uh, off the top of my head, again, never give up, ever. I uh, usually drop an F-bomb in that one uh, in certain audiences. And this one keeps rolling around in my head a ton lately. Uh, Bruce Lee, you know, quoted it, and I, I love it. It's, uh, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to handle a difficult one. Um, and I think, uh, I think that right there really resonates with me and, and how I, how I try to live my life yeah. and, and be an example for my, my family. Yeah, that's great. Cause usually an easy life leads to disappointment. Right. And so for that point, it's absolutely, it's up to that point of view. You don't feel comfort is an illusion. Yeah. So if you're looking for comfort, uh, you're, uh, I got the bad news for you. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Well, if there's someone new that that's on their, let's we'll call it their multifamily journey, just starting out, what's one of the key components or key, let's say that's the key steps they could take today to start down there. Yeah. Journey? Uh, I've got this conversation all the time come up with people and, and, and most of them are at that fork in the road, right? Where uh, am I going to be an operator or am I going to be a passive investor? And there's a lot of people out there that should stay passive because there's something else that they're really good at in their life that can, that they can grow an income stream and then they can invest that uh, with sponsors like you and me that are doing real estate. Right. Um, and because they don't want a second job, they don't want to be a landlord on the weekends. They've got wives, they've got kids, they want to travel. Right. Um, but, but I'm going to answer that for those, those operators out there, for those operators of, of, you know, who you are, uh, Again, don't give up, don't quit. Once you realize that there's gonna be challenges, creating a team, managing people, man, that makes real estate look really freaking easy most days. But yeah. you gotta figure it out. And, and there's no manual that's gonna, that you're gonna read that's gonna solve that. You just gotta try, learn, pivot, tinker, uh, make errors, and, and course correct. Um, and so if, if you truly wanna do this and you, you don't give up. Um, you can be successful. And I think a great model is finding ways to create um, a scalable operation that can print money all the time. Real estate syndication is a great way to do that. Whether you're a, a capital raiser, um, an asset manager, a deal finder, right? And then it's, okay, how do I um, uh, partition the, the money I'm making to, uh, to live on, and then how do I continue to reinvest in my business? So uh, for the young guys out there, young gals out there, you know, I, I, I have nice clothes and a nice car and a nice house now, but when I first got into this business, man, I was buying shoes at Walmart, you know, looking for the bargain, saving every dollar I could to get this thing going. And if you can survive that trial by fire, man, you can, you can buy a PJ one day. Yeah, I love it. Well, see, you heard it all there. Ivan, this has been incredible. And there's so much that we could get here. We could go on for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, there's a lot of ways that we want to talk about for people to follow up with you if you want to give us some of that guidance. Yeah, absolutely. And again, man, I, I, I've had a lot of fun and uh, I hope your, your audience got a lot of value out of this. Uh, you're a great host. I appreciate you letting me ramble on at times. Um, my corporate site is Barrett Asset Management. I'm really easy to find if you spell my last name correctly, B-A-R-R-A-T-T. Uh, I put together a site called Ivan Barrett Education. That's for high net worth uh, passive investors that want to learn more about us, our investment thesis, our team, our track record. And then my, uh, my admin is at 
Uh, whether you're passive or active, uh, happy to chat at some time in the near future, uh, except for July, that's family month. Family month. I love it. We'll, we'll have you back on and talk about breaking out that family month. That's incredible. But there were so many key takeaways today about your, your development stages and the key takeaways you had from that, keeping yourself up during the downturns and how you created a viable property management company that led you to really be able to grow your own asset management uh, firm into over 2,500 units and another thousand units that you're managed for others um, and just your growth and how that growth now transition from syndication to multi-asset uh, PPM. It's just so many takeaways today. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate having you on. Pleasure's all mine, Jason. Thanks again for having me, man. Well, thank you. And for everyone listening, we really appreciate you guys checking us out. Uh, if you want to hear more, definitely check us out on iTunes. You can find us on YouTube, all the other platforms out there. Again, if you like what you're here, which you definitely will with today's show, go and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It always helps. Have a great day. Bye now. Mm.